44 through 46. It's on page 884 of the Bibles that are in the pews. Luke 23, 44 through 46. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, as we approach your word this, this evening, uh, we pray once again for the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. We confess freely that we need help. We need spiritual light to see your word and to hear your word to us. Father, we pray that as we look over the, the final moments of Jesus on the cross and we examine what your word tells us, that, that we would see the full impact of his sacrifice and that we would hear what you're saying to us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Darkness is usually something to be avoided. Young children are often afraid of the dark. Their rooms, which are so familiar to them, become a scary place as soon as the lights are turned off and it becomes dark. So mom and dad often have to put a night light or something in their room to, to drive away all the darkness. But it's not just children, it's adults as well. Darkness usually isn't very desirable. I don't think any of us would want to walk around an unfamiliar garage or a basement in complete darkness. We'd be liable to trip over something and fall. And Of course, nobody would walk around in the woods on a moonless night without some sort of flashlight or, or some other light source. You could step in a hole or poke your eye with a branch sticking out from a tree. It would be very dangerous. Even common routine things become more difficult without enough light, like using hand tools or reading or trying to find the right key when you're, when you're opening a, a door. Even watching TV isn't that great in the complete darkness. Your eyes strain at trying to adjust to the different light levels and that results in pain and, and headaches. Darkness is generally something to be avoided. Spiritual darkness is also something to be avoided. In the book of John, for example, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, we've already seen Jesus talk about the light, about how he is the true light who came into the world. And he talked about others who love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Clearly, spiritual darkness is something we want to stay away from and avoid. But in our verses tonight that describe Jesus' death on the cross, it talks about darkness. Literal, physical darkness, but also spiritual darkness. And we're going to see that in this case, the darkness is not something to be avoided. Let's read these verses, just three verses here, 44, 45, and 46. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. It says about the sixth hour, which means 12 noon. 
they reckoned time by counting the hours starting at sunrise. So Jesus had been on the cross since the third hour or 9 a.m. So he'd been on the cross for three hours. It was now the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, which of course would be, would be 3 p.m. While the sun's light failed, and we should say right away that God caused the darkness. There, as you can imagine, there have been all kinds of explanations trying to explain away the darkness through natural causes. Some have said eclipse. It must have been an eclipse. But this was during Passover, and Passover is always during a full moon and a solar eclipse where the, the moon passes in front of the sun is, is impossible during a full moon. So that's not it. It's not an eclipse. There, there have been other explanations. One is a strong wind. Um, it's true that in the ancient Near East they had these things called the Shirako, which was a strong wind which could sometimes kick up dust and, and bring with it uh, a lot of debris and things like that. But I don't find that convincing because if it was a, a, such a strong wind, we might read something about a strong wind. Instead, we read about darkness. And also, those are a little more prevalent out in uh, non-urban areas. You're liable to get more desert winds. No, God caused the darkness. God caused the darkness. We don't have to explain it away with weather phenomenon. Darkness is often associated with judgment. For example, Exodus 10.21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So darkness is associated with judgment. Darkness is also associated with final judgment in Scripture. Matthew 8 I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Likewise, Matthew 22, Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So, darkness at the crucifixion was a physical, literal, observable darkness, but it was also a spiritual darkness. Jesus is hanging on the cross, experiencing the judgment and wrath of God for the sins of his people. The darkness is a cosmic sign from God. He's marking it. He's saying this is not some ordinary crucifixion. This is not some ordinary execution. The Son of God experienced the judgment of God. 45, and the curtain was, was torn in two. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. In the temple itself, if you remember, the temple complex had take, taken up this, this several acre area of land on the Temple Mount and it had many uh, walls and barriers and gates and courtyards but when you finally made it into the actual temple it consists of two primary places the holy place and the most holy place or the holy of holies it was also called that and separating these two portions of the temple was this giant curtain 30 feet wide 60 feet high 
And it was torn in two. Matthew's gospel tells us from top to bottom, God tore the temple. Excuse me, God tore the curtain in the temple. The significance of the tearing of the temple curtain tells us, first of all, that God was at work. It was supernaturally torn from top to bottom, which means no one came in with a, a knife and made a, a small cut in the bottom and then grabbed, had somebody else get on the other side and they, they pulled it. No, that would be from bottom to top. God tore the temple curtain in two. Secondly, it also tells us that God no longer wants that curtain in place if he tore it in two. God initially commanded that, that curtain to be there, but now he's saying it doesn't belong there anymore. It's no longer needed. Jesus accomplished the once and for all sacrifice, the atoning work, so that the temple and the priestly system and the Holy of Holies and the curtain are obsolete. They're no longer needed. The Holy of Holies was the place where the high priest once a year would enter into the temple. He would go in behind the curtain and make atonement for his sins and for the sins of the people. And God, by tearing this curtain in two, is saying, that's no longer needed. We no longer need uh, a priesthood. We no longer need the ceremonial law. The way has been opened, and that way is through faith in Jesus Christ. And to carry out all those rituals and sacrifices and, and routine, all, all those things that were part of the Old Covenant and were commanded by God, but to continue in those after he tore the curtain and after he provided his son would be to um, disregard and to disrespect what God has done through Jesus Christ. I can't think of a better place to go than Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. Hebrews 9, 11, 12 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So God tore the temple curtain in two, and he was saying, That is no longer needed. I have provided something better. I have provided something permanent. I have provided my son as the ultimate once and for all sacrifice. No more animals. No more priests. No more blood. I've given you my son. All those former things point to him. Everything I put into place under the ceremonial law points to Jesus. Look to him now. Not to those things, to him. And none of those things will ever be needed again. Verse 46, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is one of Jesus' sayings from the cross. It's actually a quote from a portion of one of the Psalms, Psalm 31.5, which says, into your hand I commit my spirit. Now in the original context, it was the psalmist who was, a, who was suffering righteously, crying out to God for protection from his enemies, for deliverance, and then trusting in God for that deliverance. Jesus says these words on the cross. Jesus is the ultimate righteous sufferer. He had no sin. Jesus displays the ultimate confidence in his Father to deliver him. And having said this, he breathed 
his last. Jesus willingly died on the cross so that you and I could live. He took the full wrath of God that was due for the sins of the elect and he took that judgment, he took that wrath, he took that darkness upon himself. He took the darkness that we deserve on himself. Now there's no getting around it. This is a dark passage. Uh, it's the death of our, our Lord and Savior. It, it literally talks about physical darkness. There's spiritual darkness and, and the wrath of God being poured out on, on a sinless man. It's dark. And we said earlier that darkness is usually something to avoid. That's something we want to stay away from. But we also said that that's not always the case. Sometimes darkness is exactly what we need to see things clearly. If you went out and bought a quality telescope, uh, not just something at Walmart, but you went out and you spent some money on a telescope and you wanted to get the most of it, you could set it up any time, but if you wanted to, to get the most out of this telescope and see the most, you would look into the sky at night. It just makes sense. The more light that is, that is visible and that we can see here, the less we're going to be able to see the light out in space. So if we wanted to see the, the planets and, and all the other uh, celestial bodies, uh, stars and things like that, we want the least amount of dark around us when we're looking through that telescope. So that's one case where we want dark. That the darkness is desirable. Likewise, we don't normally like to think of suffering. We don't normally like to think of the darkness that Jesus went through. But it is only when we look into the darkness of this passage, the darkness of the cross, that we can see the light of God's love and grace and mercy clearly. It's by looking into the darkness. Like a, like a jeweler that, that pulls out the black velvet piece of cloth when he's showing a cut diamond. He, he pulls it out and he lays it out. Then he pulls the diamond on top of it and shines the light. Then you can see the brilliance of all the, the facets, all the different cuts on the diamond. It's with that backdrop it's the same with the cross. Jesus took the darkness of God's wrath so that we may have light and life. So it's good to look at the cross. It's good to stare into the darkness so we can see just how much God loves us, just how much it cost him to provide a way for us to be made right with him. As we stare into the darkness, we can see the depth of our own sin. We can see the height of God's love. We can see the length of that he was willing to go to in order to save us. God has provided a way for us to be made right with him, for us to be saved. In just a moment, we're going to be going to the table. And it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about the Lord's Supper, one of the things he says is that in it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So one of the things that we're instructed to think about when we come to the Lord's table is the darkness of Jesus' death. I don't think that's an accident. I think it's only by looking at the darkness that we can see 
the light of God's love so clearly. If you're here tonight, and if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, then you are still walking in spiritual darkness. This is what scripture teaches. It says you will remain in spiritual darkness and under the wrath of God until you turn to the light. When Jesus paid the penalty for sin, when Jesus took the darkness and the wrath of God, he did not take it for the sins of everyone. He took it for the sins of those who put their faith and trust in him. For those that do not put their faith and trust in him, they themselves have to receive the darkness of God's wrath. So I would ask you this question, are you prepared to receive the darkness of God's wrath for your sin? Or are you willing to trust in Jesus who took the darkness on your behalf? We're going through the Gospel of John on Sunday morning and the title of the whole series is It's Just That Simple because it really is. We are faced with a choice. When we look to the cross, when we look to Jesus Christ, we're faced with a choice. Are we going to take the darkness of God's wrath ourselves or will we trust in Him, the Savior, to take it for us? If you've not done that, I ask that you would do that tonight in your own heart. Trust Jesus. Repent of your sin. Turn to him. Jesus is the light, and in him is light and life and forgiveness of sins. Because he took the darkness on our behalf. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we look to the cross, we see darkness. We see judgment. And we also see most clearly your, your mercy and your love and your grace towards us. And Father, we, we cannot help but respond with gratitude, with thankfulness. It drives us to our knees. So Father, thank you for the sacrifice of your Son who took the penalty for our sin on our behalf so that we can have life and forgiveness. Amen.